Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to episode 76 of the Thread Podcast. We're going to talk about the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the heart of the gospel is the promise of change. And the Holy Spirit brings change in our lives. He causes us to be born a second time, that we come alive inside. There's new character traits that we never had before. We receive supernatural giftings, abilities to do things we've never been able to do before from the Spirit. We get guidance inside our mind as the Holy Spirit uh, helps us to become useful to God and to become His agent, uh, bringing mercy and blessing into the lives of other people. God cleans us up. He points out our motives when we get off track on the inside. He gives us encouragement. He gives us grace and hope. Uh, The work of the Holy Spirit in our life from the very beginning, even to lead us to repentance and to lead us to acknowledge that we're not right with God and that we have to do whatever it takes to get right with God. That comes from the Holy Spirit. So he's with us from the very beginning, and his goal in our life is transformation, that we will become a new creature through Jesus Christ, and that our soul will become different. We'll go through the rebirth of the soul and the liberation of our life from all things that hold us in bondage. In chapter 4, verse 32, this is a really beautiful time, and I'm just going to read this. uh, It's a short passage. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Uh, it, you, know, you know you're free. This is such a remarkable season in the life of the early church. You know you're free when you become generous and free with your money and your material possessions because what you do with money is really the litmus test about your value system and about the kind of spirit that's inside of you. And in verse 32, it said they had one heart as a people. They didn't look at their things anymore as their things, but they saw every, they were so trusting and so loving and so excited about being part of this new group. And this is actually the second time that's mentioned. In chapter 2, verse 44, uh, the same characteristic is mentioned because it's just so different. Uh, The religion that they were coming out of had become so much about money. And all of a sudden, here was this new one, and money was just, they were just free from it. Uh, Money didn't have power over them, and it also didn't have power over the church. Uh, and if you notice, they didn't have a lot of uh, overhead that they had created, so their, the money that they, they gave to the work of the Lord went right to the work of the Lord, not mortgage payments and uh, massive properties to keep up. Um, it was money for ministry. Um, they had all things in common, verse 32. I think it's pretty careful, uh, pretty instructive to us And I think we have to look at this, especially if you're from America, because we mustn't consider capitalism a doctrine within Christianity because they're not connected. 
there are a lot of different economic systems, and it seems like free market system works best in most places. Uh, it doesn't always work best in a young, fragile economy. But Jesus taught a radical new theology, a new doctrine about wealth and about his kingdom. And we shouldn't just take everything that we already believe as a country and say, yeah, God's for that. Well, I don't know if he is or not. We have to evaluate every single characteristic because all culture is fallen. Culture is made by man, not God. Governments are made by man, not God. There's not a, a God form of these things. When the kingdom of God is here, we will see God's form of government and economy and everything perfectly lived out. We see his value system in Scripture. We see his value system in the Old Testament. And I love going through the Jewish law and looking at all the rules regarding the economy and how people must be treated and how debt is handled. And there's just so much to that. I would love to do a whole study on that. But Jesus had a new concept, and his concept was stewardship. Not free market, not capitalism, stewardship. None of it is yours. All of it is God's. The kingdom has claim on everything that we possess. And, you know, He turns to this rich young ruler when Jesus was in his ministry, and this guy comes up, he is rich, he is young, and he has political power. And right away, Jesus lays claim on everything the guy owns. He says, you sell everything. Give it all away. I don't want it. He didn't say, sell it and bring the money to our ministry. He said, give it to somebody else. Just sell it. Go down to where there's poor people and put the money in their hands. And then you'll be free. Now, then you come and follow us and you can be my disciple. And the scripture says the guy shook his head and went away sad. It's like, no way. I am not parting with my money. We know if we are citizens of the kingdom of God, then we're assured that our true needs are known by God and will be met by God just in time, whenever we need them. My family and I have been involved in missions work for, wow, almost 30 years. And in all that time, I have so many different stories that we can tell you of how God provided for us. And I've seen other people that knew that God wanted them to do something, but that something required them to walk away from a secured paycheck, and they just could not make themselves do it. They couldn't believe that God would provide for them. They had to know it. They had to have the money in their hand before they could take that step. And they missed something. You know, they missed something. I've known people that went their whole life knowing that they never did the thing they were supposed to do. And then as they retire, now they want to go and try to do it. And they just miss so much that could have been theirs if they could have just been free. Because really, I don't think the demon behind money is greed as much as fear. Just the fear that comes from letting go of your security, letting go of the money in the bank, the, the extra everything. Well, here we see the Jerusalem church. And verse 33 says, Great grace was working powerfully among them. When this grace began to work from God, we're going to see an overlapping of the natural world 
and the supernatural world. And special circumstances are going to come into play. Now, this church was in a unique situation. Um, And we're going to see that they begin to give their properties to help feed people in the church. And there's a reason for that. On the day of Pentecost, people had gathered from all over the world for the Jewish Passover. And so there were thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people who had come from all over the known world to Jerusalem as faithful Jews, and they had gone to the temple, and they were celebrating the Passover, and that is when the the Holy Spirit was poured out. uh, In About six weeks later, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, and as the people were there for the Feast of Pentecost still, because it's just like a month and a half, and if you're going to take that long journey, you might as well hang around, visit your, your relatives. The Holy Spirit came. Peter goes out in the street, preaches that first sermon. If you look in the second chapter of Acts, 3,000 people get saved. And what basically seems to have happened was that the early church people said, don't go home. You can't go home. You don't even know what you believe because those people had turned to Christ. They were baptized. They said, I believe Jesus is alive. I see these miracles. You know, I'm in. And so it was like, well, the, you know, let's get jobs. If you can get jobs, just stay here as long as you can. And every day they had teaching sessions. You know, this was a movement. Well, the economy can only absorb so many people. And by uh, chapter 4, we've seen 5,000 men. That counts 5,000 families. Now included in this new group, That I mean, there were only 120 Christians total in the upper room, and now you've got 5,000 families to take care of, and every day they meet and they eat food together and they, they uh, learn from the Scriptures and they learn to pray and they learn to sing and worship uh, God and they honor Jesus and they start running out of money. The economy can't provide for them and people in the church, get, um, they get touched. They get touched that they should do something. And this something is a little bit of a crazy thing to do. You know, you've got your family property there. There's that, there's that piece of land that's, you know, your sort of land bank that you're holding, and maybe it's your inheritance, and you get this notion in your head. Have you ever had something like this happen? You know, you've got this beautiful guitar, or you have some other thing. It's a material possession, and you really love it. And you meet somebody, and they seem to have a need that's exactly for that thing, and you hear a little voice inside, and your heart begins to stir, and something tells you, give that to them. And now you got to decide. I mean, some people just freely do it. They are so liberated that they just, you know, toss you the keys. And uh, I've seen that done in different times, and I'm just always, you know it's God, and you just feel the lightness and the grace and the faith that's in the air when people are that free with their things. But, you know, sometimes there's a big struggle that goes on inside your heart, and you have to decide if you're going to give or not give, and these big battles go on, and that's good. You know, we need these battles. We need these times inside our heart when we have to clarify what we really believe. But in this church, verse 34 says, those who possessed lands or houses began to sell them and to bring the proceeds of the things that were sold, verse 35, 
and to lay the money at the apostles' feet and to allow them to distribute the money to each as anyone had a need. You know, now this, is, uh, this practice is never mentioned in any other church, so you can't say, oh, this is how Christians always do. No, this is how the Jerusalem church responded to a special situation when the Holy Spirit told them to do this. The Spirit will lead us to do what is necessary in every circumstance. But we need the radical transformation inside our heart that causes us to not argue with God. When He tells us to do things like this, to just do it, to just let it go and you know, obey. Now, let me tell you the end of this story that's not in the Bible. In 70 AD, the Roman army begins to move toward Jerusalem, and a prophecy goes out among the Christians. And the prophecy is, flee this city. Rome will come against it. And because the Christians had given up their properties, it was really easy for them to go. No one, you know, said, oh, but my house is here. One by one, they had started getting rid of all their stuff. They were free. They were light in their heart. And so they fled the city, and they went to a place in the mountains called Pella, and you know, there wasn't a loss of life as the city was finally surrounded, then sealed, and then Rome destroyed it and tore it to the ground, tore every stone down from the temple and hauled them away and built a temple to, um, I think it was Zeus, out of the stones that were in the temple that Jesus saw every day when he was in Jerusalem. But you see, they had liberty and it saved their life because they had obeyed the Holy Spirit. They were witnessing boldly. They were praying earnestly. They were taking kingdom authority over darkness. And this made the early church the catalyst of a transformational movement that moved across this country. And it freed them to live generously and then to move on. When time called and God needed them to do something different and go somewhere different, and they were free because they weren't all bound up to all these things that, you know, we call them possessions, but so often our possessions possess us. So that is, for me, a very, very beautiful lesson from the early church. And I want to be like those people. Uh, the end of this passage is verse 36 and 37, and it's the introduction of a new character. You know, we know who Simon Peter is already, and we know all these other people. But there's a guy in Jerusalem, and he is a Levite. He has a role in the temple. He is from the priestly class. And uh, his Jewish name is Joseph. And the disciples gave him a new name, the way Jesus would give them new names. And they named him Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. The, the, you know, the, the, I guess it's because that's how he was. Barnabas is so full of God's grace that he lifts people up. He's a positive energetic guy, loves people, sees the value in people, and we'll watch Barnabas from this point on in the story. Uh, we get to see Barnabas, a, a pure ministry. You can never find fault you know, with what Barnabas is doing in the ministry. He is just such a beautiful man in his spirit. But it says, and I'm not sure if he's the one that started this practice or if he's just one of them that participated, but it says in verse 36, Barnabas who was a Levite from the country of Cyprus, owned some land, verse 37, and he sold it, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So the trust 
that they had uh, in their leaders and that was well-founded trust. These were honest men, honorable men, who were willing uh, to serve the people and serve the people with such grace and such uh, humility. And you just see a church the way it ought to be, you know, healthy, growing, happy, liberated people. I want to be part of that kind of church. And so I have to do my part. And I want to be that kind of a father and that kind of a brother and that kind of an encouragement to other people. So set another place at the dinner table. Invite some people over to eat your food. Let some people sleep in your house when they come to town. You know, that used to be part of being a just a normal part of being in a church was people would crash in. And I don't know how many people slept in our house when I was a kid. Now it's the hotel and keeping, you know, those kind of extra work things at arm's length. And I just think we have to re-embrace a lot of this early church sweetness and sharing and transparency and open heart, open home. And may the Lord drill that into you and may he continue to drill that into me that we can be an example to everybody around us and they will see the grace of God and how different we are from other people. That's all for now. And I'll see you next time on Thread. But if you want to talk to me directly, just email me, chuck at quinley.com. If you enjoy the Thread podcast, please send a message to your friends. Let them know all about it. And we'll be able to speak to more people and let God's word go into more hearts. God bless you. Till next time on Thread.